0: The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit Ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Lutie.
1: This is a, what I would call a doozy. It's a very, very hard one, um... Not because I'm afraid of necessarily what you will think. Certain messages are like that, where it's like, ooh, this will be a delicate one. And I'm not saying this isn't delicate. This has some delicacy to it. This is just a very hard one to enunciate. And you'll understand why, as we progress, you'll realize that there are certain tension points in truth that, at first blush and first glance, seem to be contradictory one of the other. And today we're going to deal with a theme that has tension all around it, and even the very idea itself is full of tension, and we want it, part of us when we first come to Jesus Christ, we know the power of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, we know the authority of Jesus Christ, we cannot fathom how this element can still remain in the Christian life. Why is it there? How are we supposed to appropriate it? And so I, I can tell you up front, I will not handle this perfectly. And give me 20 more years, and I still could say, I don't know that I will handle this perfectly. I'm not exactly sure if this side of heaven, any of us, will fully, fully, fully understand this tension. And yet we can still have a framework to properly address it in our life and to rejoice the whole time. We don't always know the answer to why we go through what we go through. But we do know certain things. We do know that God is faithful that everything that has happened in our life, whether it came from the enemy or it came from God, is being turned unto something good and beneficial to our life on this earth and to his glory, which is why we're even here. Some of us have struggled with, we come to Jesus, why doesn't he lift us out of this realm, this sin-ridden realm, and just bring us home? If that's the end game is just to be with him, then why in the world do we have this season? This season is... Of suffering this season in a realm that is still marred by the effects of sin hey God I'm ready to get out of here and yet we're still here the answer to those questions plays in a heavy way into our understanding of this theme so let's let's begin with fear and trepidation the land of thorns a study in the proper appropriation of bodily suffering Appropriation would be sort of the ability to receive something and receive it properly. For instance, if you are a a runner uh, in a relay race, there's a way of holding your arm back. The runner that's coming towards you puts the baton in your hand and you know how to grip it. There's a proper appropriation, a handoff, a way of receiving something. When bodily suffering comes into our life, and by the way, when I say bodily suffering, your first thought is, Physical ailments. I understand this is where our mind goes. Just like when I say the Word of God, you think of the text of Scripture. There's nothing wrong with that. And bodily ailments, or like a disease or a sickness, is definitely a form of bodily suffering. In fact, probably the one that is going to be top of the list. But there are a lot of forms of bodily suffering. We are in a body, in a foreign territory. God is in heaven, and our bodies are down here. Jesus Christ has done it. He has achieved this great victory. And then he's like, hey, wh- wh- where are you going, uh, Jesus? A- 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 are you going to leave us here? And he ascends. We're like, uh, and he goes, it's good for you that I ascend. We're like, I'm not exactly sure how this is a good thing. You see, how about this? Either you stay here with us or you take us with you. I don't like the thought of you leaving us here in this fallen realm all by herself. And he goes, no, 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 you're not going to be by yourself. You see, I'm going to send you a helper. The way God has chosen to do this is really odd to many of us. But when we get a clear understanding, at least of the infrastructure, the big picture of what God is doing, it helps us reason in this realm properly so that we don't trip over the wrong things. So the proper appropriation of bodily suffering. You know that circumstances could be bodily suffering? You go in without a meal, you living in a tight spot, you living in the dorms at Ellerslie. could be a form of bodily suffering. <laughs> Having shortage of finances, that is something that is actually affecting your life here in this body. It is a form of bodily suffering. Accusation, things that happen that, down here that don't happen in heaven. Because you're in a body down here, when you're in your new body in heaven, guess what? False accusation, eh, you just sort of shrug your shoulders, can't get me. And yet, when you're down here in this body, you have the real effects of it. It's flaming arrows. And those arrows take on various forms that when we are done with this body, we will not deal with those things. Oh, Lord, hasten the day. And yet, here we are in the groaning territory. It's the land of thorns. Then to Adam he said, Cursed is the ground for your sake. Thanks, Adam. Appreciate you, buddy. That was wonderful. Great decision at the tree. You see, when Adam sinned, God said, he made it very clear, his word stated, the day in which you eat of this tree, you will surely die. The realm in which we live was originally created as a revelatory device. This entire creation was built and designed by our creator to showcase his glory, his divine nature, and his attributes. And yet something has happened. There is a twisting. Just like our bodies were created. The same way this creation was. We are a subset of it that was created to reveal the divine image of God. Here in this body. And yet something has gone wrong. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. So we live in a land of thorns. It wasn't intended to be that way. It is that way. It won't always be that way. Have you ever heard of the new body that God has purchased for us? He's basically built us new bodies. We, we have them. They're just sort of hanging in the closet up there in heaven. Like, I'd sort of like that thing now. And yet we don't get it now. It's a strange thing for us to reason through. Say, like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You say I have it, but I don't have it? No, you have it, but you don't have it yet. But I want it now. How about the new earth? There's a new earth. There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. I want that. I don't want this land of thorns. But we have old bodies in an old world. And God says, yeah, with the power of God, you have those things. It's like, but but, but couldn't I have a new body and a new world? And couldn't we just call this thing done? I, I want it to be done, and I want the newness fully, completely. And yet God's plan includes this. This wasn't an accident where God's caught off guard going, wait a minute, I thought I finished it. And he's like, I said it is finished, but I realized, oh, it wasn't. I forgot to give the new bodies. Oh, and I was going to make a new world. Oh, great. And so then he's all red faced and we're like, so God, what's the deal here? And he's like, yeah, sorry about that. You're just going to have to sort of endure this now. Uh, You're like, what? What do you mean? Yeah, it was kind of a, a divine mistake. No mistake. It's very purposeful. The much-heated divine healing debate. Now, this, is, this message isn't on divine healing. Uh, praise God. I can relax a little more just because of that. However, it brushes against the edges of it. It forces the issue to the surface. Because when you are suffering in a body, at any level, because you can look at divine healing. Divine healing, when you look at the word in the Hebrew, Rafa. It means to be made whole, to have something mended that is torn. Something made right that is wrong. And we have something that is very wrong in this dying world around us. And by the way, our bodies are headed in the wrong direction. I don't know if you've ever studied uh, the human body, but the older you get, and I just turned 40... Well, I just turned. I'd like to say it that way. I'm almost about ready to turn 45... And my body is not doing everything that it's supposed to do. Okay, now, I, 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 Aaron Vogel was training me the other day, and I went in, and he had this mat. I'm supposed to run up to the mat and do a forward roll, you know, maintain my, my momentum. And so I go down into a, into a roll that I've done many times. I've done rolls. Come on, this will be easy. I'm even looking at it going, that'll be sort of fun. Well, I go into roll position, my head goes down, and I black out and flop off to the side. And so I was laying there going, what in the world? And so I got up, sort of brushed myself off. I think Elijah, his son, saw it, but I kept moving. And I'm acting like nothing happened, nothing. That was weird. And so I come around, because this is, I mean, he just has us go through this crazy circuit over and over again. And so I come up to it, and I'm like, I'm going to get you this time. And I go down, my head goes down, I black out and fall off to the side. And then I get up after, I don't know if we tried this three times, and I, you know, I kept blacking out. And I come over to him, and I'm like, yeah, I'm just sort of feeling a little weak here. Uh, my whole equilibrium was off. Everything was just off in my body. And he goes, so you're just feeling faint, weak, low blood sugar type of effects? I go, yeah. And he goes, well, at least you're not feeling queasy. I go, yeah, that's good. And the next moment, I'm like, well, I got that too now. Uh <laughs> And so he went and studies like, this is your vestibular gland. Uh, is it a vestibular gland? Yeah, some weird thing that's going on. And it's just like, yeah, your body's used to it, but something's just not right. We need to retrain it. See, my body's 44, almost 45, and it's aging. This crazy thing. Why can't you just do it right? I, I know how to do this. When I was young, 20s, this is easy. And yet something is going on inside this body. And... It's actually not something that is sinful. My body aging isn't sinful, right? None of us are going to look at the aging body and someone that's actually has a little limp and they're walking along with a cane is like that's sin. <laughs> However, ironically it is the effects of sin. You see aging and this dying process is this it's a it's a vestige, it's a remaining picture of a dying world. And we live in dying bodies. So when you get to the issues of suffering, it brings up the issue of healing. What are our expectations supposed to be? Some people have come to the conclusion that we shouldn't age. That we shouldn't have any physical problems. Because didn't Jesus Christ die and his shed blood is able to heal me? Therefore, no matter what ache or pain I have, I should not have it. And I should be perfectly healthy and technically I should live forever. And so, as a result, you run into a tension in your mind, and just in this body, and one of the reasons I wanted to walk through this message, is we have a lot of varying views on healing. What's interesting is we all agree on one key thing, and that is, God heals. You're not going to see a debate on that where someone's like, oh, I don't think God heals. Everyone in here probably knows God heals. However, is God supposed to heal? I mean, is it the demand that we have? Like, we can hold God to it in every situation, or does God do it when he wants to do it? And then certain people get mad at that. It's like, if you live that way, then you're not going to have any faith that he's ever going to do it. And so you have this back and forth within the body and its a tension. And so what I would like to do is create more of a global framework so that we can reason through issues like this with a little more effectiveness. Heeding the warning from our forefathers. So my firstborn son's name is Hudson. I love Hudson Taylor. And Hudson Taylor gives a warning. He says, Erroneous teaching on faith healing does much harm, misleading some as to the purposes of God, shaking the faith of others, and distressing the minds of many. I remember when I was walking through this, I was struggling because I, was, I had always associated faith healing and any type of divine healing with sort of the wacko side of Christianity. And so I wanted to be the conservative side. I wanted to be respectable. I wanted people to look at me and go, oh, there's a sound mind. I didn't want to even touch that. But the more you study scripture, the more you begin to realize that when the Messiah comes, he heals. It's just an outflow. In fact, how did you know he was the Messiah? You know one of the things that Jesus says? Go tell John. Go tell John. John's like, is he the Messiah? Go tell John. Basically, I'm healing. This is a sign of the life of Christ, the life of the Messiah. The work of the Word of God in our life is that it heals. It just does. And it enters into a fallen realm, an old realm, and it makes things new. This is what he does. And so it creates a tension. But there's a warning. You see, it doesn't say teaching on faith healing. It says erroneous teaching. You see, how you appropriate these issues is of the utmost importance for even your spiritual sanity. Because if you don't appropriate this right, then you feel guilty if you're ever sick. If you ever have a challenge in your physical body, you feel like, is that a sin on my part? And that's why this can be a very challenging issue to navigate. So we're going to hang out in 2 Corinthians. Uh, 2 Corinthians, obviously the second letter Uh, That Paul writes to the church at Corinth. His first one was a great rebuke. Uh, This this church is not the healthiest church. And so I've oftentimes said, for those of you that are wanting to return to the early church, just make sure you don't become the Corinthian church. We're already that. In fact, we could say, oh, we're just like the early church. People go, what? We're not like, yeah, we're like the church in Corinth. Divisions, contentions amongst us, and we have issues. And that's the way Corinth was. Well, Corinth still had some issues. Come second round, Paul is more ethic, more, uh, more pleasant maybe in his tone, but he still has some concerns. There's certain super apostles that are coming through and that are, in a sense, diminishing Paul's voice. And so Paul spends a little time boasting uh, in, in 2 Corinthians, which is really awkward. If any of you have ever just opened your Bible, you know, the flop open Bible, and you get to Paul's boasting, you're like, what is this guy doing? and yet what he's doing is he's establishing his apostleship he's he's making some things clear this man uh, went through such amazing difficulties yet i want to take out one section in second corinthians 12. it's in the process of paul establishing a position of credibility and authority in and amongst this church it is doubtless not profitable for me to boast i will come to visions and revelations of the lord I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body, I do not know, or whether out of the body, I do not know, God knows, such a one was caught up to the third heaven. So he mentions this guy that he knows from 14 years ago, which appears to be him, uh, that was caught up into the heavens and to the third heaven. Yeah, okay, it's just what it says. And I know such a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows how he was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words, which it is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one I will boast, yet of myself I will not boast, except in my infirmities. For though I might desire to boast, I will not be a fool, for I will speak the truth. But I refrain lest anyone should think of me above what he sees me to be or hears from me and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. This is why this whole passage is really awkward. It's like, Paul, who are you talking about? And he has this abundance of revelations. And it almost appears that that was actually Paul that must have been caught up to the third heaven because of how he says, it. look, I've been given such an abundance of revelation. I've seen things, people. So he says, and lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Now some of you that have been around the block in the Bible know that I've just suddenly picked possibly one of the most difficult passages in the entire Bible as a lead scripture today. Yes, I did this with eyes wide open. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and needs, in persecutions, and distresses, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul is referring to something which, yes, I, Paul has... Some odd writings at times. And there's certain things that Paul says that I have to admit are not the easiest things to handle. But Paul is giving a truth here that has the power to transform your life if you can grip it. Because most of us actually don't want to receive it. We want to say, well, Paul, that's your business, how you handle your body, and what happens to you is, you know, that's between you and God. My life is not going to be like that. If you read about Paul and what this man went through, it is so extreme. And so many of us have to struggle with how we appropriate Paul. It's like, all right, Paul, take some of your teachings, the ones that are sort of happy and glad, and I'll stick the others sort of off to the side and just say, well, that was just your unique calling. Paul says, the things which you have heard and seen in me do. Huh? What are we supposed to do with that? So... Paul is, and I'm going to break this down so we can actually see it a little better. Paul's thorn. A thorn. Now, I've already told you that this land, because of sin, is going to produce thorns and thistles. And so Paul is experiencing a thorn. Very specifically, it's called a thorn in the flesh. By the way, the flesh, the word in the Greek, sarx, is the enunciation of this physical body. And so he has a thorn. In his body is the most simple way of interpreting what he's saying. He's not talking about a thorn in his spiritual life, even though a thorn in your physical body is going to have an impact upon your spiritual life. So, Paul's thorn, so this is what he says. He says, Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. Well, it's just such a strange statement to start with. But what is this thorn? Is it from God? Well, that's, again, one of the most difficult questions to know how to answer. Is this from God? Actually, Paul makes it very clear. It's a messenger from Satan. So, uh, no. But, at the same time, we also know that God could stand in the way and say, Hey, hey, leave my Paul alone. But, for the sake of Paul, get this, for the sake of Paul, this messenger... This is the way I always look at it. The enemy comes up to the door of our life and knocks, we don't open. Tries to open, it's locked. See, he's locked out. He has no access to our life. And every now and then, God seems to unlock the door. And the enemy comes up, puts his weight on, and gets in. He's like, what am I doing here? How would I get in? I don't know, but I'm in. That's the entire picture of the cross. The enemy could not touch Christ. And we could say it this way, the body of Christ. They could not lay hands on him. And yet Jesus himself gives himself, he gives his body over into the hands of sinners. The enemy with bloodlust rushes upon the situation, not realizing that what they are going to do to that body is actually going to destroy them. You see, these messengers of Satan cannot stop being bad guys. And so when they get the open door, they take full advantage of it, but it's actually to their own harm. You see, this is the body of Christ. When that body is harmed, something amazing comes out as a result. So it's a messenger of Satan. What's it sent for? To buffet me is what Paul says. Lest I be exalted above measure. Scallops. I know, it sounds like some kind of fish. That's actually the Greek word... For thorn. So actually, in a simple way, we can translate it as thorn. But let me give you a little broader understanding. It's a pointed piece of wood would be a scallops. So Paul is saying, a messenger of Satan was sent to me. And he, with a pointed piece of wood, stuck it in my body. So I have a pointed piece of wood in my body, is basically what he's saying. A pail, a sharp stake, or a splinter. This word can technically mean anything pointed. Paul uses this word indicating a tool of Satan wielded against him to buffet him. He calls it a scallops in the flesh, or in the body, indicating something that greatly affected him in his physical being, that tried him in his body, possibly through bodily pain, and the humiliation that came from whatever his physical ailment he may have been suffering from. There's a lot of speculation as far as what this could have been for Paul. And some people have tried to make this a spiritual thorn, where he had a problem with lust, for instance. That's how a lot of men get away with their lust problems. They say, oh, Paul had that. No, no, that's actually not what it's talking about. It's talking about a a thorn, a pointed something that is crammed into his body. This seems to be a bodily ailment, a bodily infirmity. And this bodily infirmity could have, I mean, for instance, a lot of historical Christianity has said it's very likely was his smashed head. When he was stoned, he was carried outside the city of Lystra and left for dead. When you are stoned, just as far as a quick historical review of stoning, since that isn't a common thing today, is you take large rocks or boulders, as big as you can carry, you knock the man down, or the woman down, and you crush their head. And you crush it with large rocks. You don't take little pebbles and throw them at their feet. That's not stoning. I don't know what that is. (laughs) So... What happened to Paul was that his head would have been crushed to the point that those that were stoning him believed him dead. So, in other words, it was an effective stoning. You know, that what Paul says is he bears in his body the marks. You know that Jesus, even in his glorified, resurrected body, still had nail piercings, and he had uh, you know, a side that was pierced? I mean, what a strange thought. I don't know that maybe Paul literally bore in his body the signs and the effects of that which had happened to him. That he literally was stoned. I mean, his back, he was, uh, he was uh, 39 lashes five times. His body, his back would have been a mass of tissue, just healed over five times. I mean, what a disgusting picture that would have been. He bore in his body the signs and the effects of living in an old world in an old body. He didn't look good. I was telling the the mothers last night at the motherhood conference that Paul, even the the word Paul, means diminutive, short. Isn't that strange? That's what it means. And history actually says he was a short, bald guy with a big Jewish nose. Possibly with a crushed head and a back that was not very attractive on the beach. He bore in his body something that didn't look that impressive. You look weak, buddy. You don't look that impressive when you come to us bodily. When you're standing in front of us, your letters are big talk, but who are you? You see, Paul didn't look that in his physical body. In fact, he even says his body is wasting away. You see, the very guy who's going to teach us most of our doctrine about healing is actually a man who's in a body that is constantly wasting away. I mean, how do you reconcile these things? The confusion over thorns. An exercise in biblical thinking and reasoning. So the thorn is from the devil. So the effects of sin are still around us. You know that a common cold is still an effect of sin. And so when you go to heaven, there's no such thing as a common cold. It just doesn't exist. And financial lowness and empty bank accounts, yeah, that's not in heaven. Uh, No food on the table, yeah, not in heaven. You see, these are the effects of a fallen world. And so... It's, in a sense, from the devil. It's a messenger of Satan. It's an operation of the power of sin. And guess what? God hates sin. So we're like, yeah. Yeah, God hates sin. God has defeated sin. Yeah, preach it, ludy. Sin has no power over the believer. That's right. God is not subject to sin, nor are those who are in him subject to its power. Yay! That's truth. That's good old fashioned gospel truth. The strange injection into our cheery biblical thoughts. Now, here's what I want you to know there's no reason why your cheery thoughts need to go south. But most of us, when we have this strange injection come in, which is just the truth of the same word of God that taught us all that, we struggle and we feel unstable. But though God proved victorious on the cross, he has left his children in a world still under sin's control. Wait a minute. Jesus, you're in control. He's in control of all things, yes, that have submitted to him. But not all things have submitted. Do you know that David was anointed king over Israel? Do you remember that? However, it was a renegade anointing because there was still someone sitting on the throne named Saul. King Saul was still there. David was rightfully king. But who was still controlling? Israel. That's just a picture. In other words, we have a rightful king. However, the world has not bent its knee and acknowledged his lordship and his kingship. And as a result, we still live in a world that is controlled and still under sin's power. What a strange thought. Even though sin is defeated? Uh-huh. And he has left us in bodies still subject to the old laws of decay and death. Hey God, no offense, but this plan stinks. You see, if you have a new body for me, I'd prefer it right now. Could you imagine how powerful we'd be as the Church of Jesus Christ if we had our new bodies now? I mean, doesn't that sound, sound fun? It's like do a movie of what it could have been like. That we still live in an old world. Okay, let's take that. So yeah, sin is still up to no good and doing bad things. But Eric believes, and then. And what were you saying about the truth of Jesus Christ? And I walk through this earth. Arrows are shot against me, literally bouncing off. People build crosses, they literally crumple into dust when I hang on them. It's like, any questions? So my final statement to this one was Hmm, how do we deal with that? That's strange. See, most of us have a tough time appropriating this reality. And as a result, when the next layer comes in, we have no ability to grip it. And when we look heavenward to ask, why, dear Lord, does this bodily weakness and human frailty remain? We see that he is not in the least bit moved with concern over this fact. God, don't you realize I'm still frail and weak down here? And he's like, "Mm -hmm, I do. How come you didn't seem shocked by that, God? I'm expecting you to go, oh, I need to fix that. Instead, he seems to be at complete calm over the fact that we're still in a dying world controlled by the prince of the power of the air, and we still have old bodies that are under the old laws of decay. I'm breaking down. I'm groaning. For what? For a second body. You see, something that God has done and woven into the fabric. Remember when he gave the law? He gave the first, and it was meant to prepare you for the second. It was a schoolmaster to teach you of the second. Well, you still have your first body, which is supposed to teach you something. I need another body. I need something outside of this. You see, if you were superhuman, you'd probably stop thinking about the one who is supposed to be your fuel source. And you would begin to lean on your body instead of on him. But instead, it's inverted. You have a weak body still. And what do you need? A great big God. So we see that he is not in the least bit moved with concern over this fact. He's not apologizing as if to indicate that this current bodily weakness that we find ourselves in was some bizarre oversight on his part. In fact, he seems to be pleased to have us here on this darkened globe in these old bodies. Furthermore... He indicates in his word that it is through this strange old world setup. That's what we'll call it. Okay, you believed, but you're still in the old world setup. You're in the first system of this world. It's dying. It's going to be burned up with fire. Your old body is still marred by Adam's sin. It's still decaying. What's wrong here? And God seems to indicate in his word that it's through This strange old world setup that he intends to work out our salvation, to exercise our faith unto maturity, and to reveal the person of Jesus Christ for all the world to see. Get this. He has purposely rescued us this way. See, we don't think it's a complete rescue. We're like, God, you really blew it here. You see, if you'd sort of thought this through, you would have had the whole thing happen now. And yet, he did it exactly as he ought to do it. For our sake and for his name's sake. He saved us. He gave us a new creature, a new man. We are made new. I mean, totally transformed. And yet, this new man is still hidden in an old body? And God says, yeah, that's the secret. Don't you realize what this means? No, don't see it at all, God. don't see any wisdom in this. But in fact, this is his great secret. He has purposely rescued us this way. He has purposely left us in the land of thorns that we might in and through suffering prove a genuine faith, reveal the glory of Jesus Christ and show forth unto the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. He's not shocked that we are in the land of thorns. It's like, what are you guys doing down there? What are you doing in the land of thorns? You're supposed to be up here in heaven. You see, your physical body is still here. Ironically, I don't know if you've heard me talk about this, but when we believe in Christ, we are clothed in the person of Christ, by faith. And as a result, where Christ goes, we go. And you know where he's seated? He's seated in heavenly places. We are where we're supposed to be. In our new man, our spirit man is actually seated in heavenly places, it says in Ephesians 2, in Christ. So... That's where we live for eternity. We are actually rescued and saved in Him. However, our physical bodies are strangely still stuck down here. So, what does He do? Get this our physical, our, our spiritual bodies there in His body, seated, untouchable. The enemy cannot get to that spiritual man cannot mar that spiritual man. There is nothing in all this world, heaven, hell, that can separate us from the love of Christ, the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. There is nothing that can separate us from that position. But guess what? We're still down here. Our physical body is down here, our spiritual man there. Our physical body down here. So what does he do? He sends his spiritual man here to live inside our physical bodies, to enable us to function and to do what otherwise would be impossible in a dying, decaying world, in dying, decaying bodies, God says, that's my chosen vehicle. We're going to turn this thing on its head. So he has perfectly, perfect, purposely left us in the land of thorns that we might, in and through suffering, prove a genuine faith, reveal the glory of Jesus Christ, and show forth unto the heavenly realms the manifold wisdom of God. He's not shocked that we are in the land of thorns. He wants us here. Ah! don't you want me home? Oh, he does. But just as he would want his son home, but he, because he so loves the world, he gives his son. He sends him as a missionary. So God is willing to send us as missionaries. He wants us home. He loves us. I'm sure our bodily presence would be delightful to him. However, he's a God of love. He wants us here. Do you remember Paul even reasoning through this? He's like, guys, I want to be home to be with Jesus. But right now, for your sake, I'm going to stay in this physical body. But oh, do I want to go home because to die is gain. That's the right perspective. You see, we recognize that we are in old, decaying bodies. But we have something better waiting us. But for the sake of love, we say, God, if you want me here, I want to be here too. And I'll be here as long as you want me here. For you have a purpose in this earth of me being here in this old body, in this old world, empowered by your Holy Spirit. He has us here on purpose, even, know, even knowing full well that his children will suffer greatly due to this fact. He has us here on purpose. And he has a gigantic smile of confidence on his almighty face. Wowzer. So the first one was yay, then it was hmm, and now it's like, wowzer. That's actually God's thinking on the subject. God is not as intimidated about suffering as you are. So when we start talking about bodily suffering, it's funny how it elicits a certain thought pattern in us. When in actuality, God is not surprised at human suffering. He recognizes where it comes from, he knows that he has kept us here, and he understands that we will indeed suffer. Let's see if I can give you an illustration. This is a really hard one uh, for me. But we have a house. And and I've tried to talk about how God keeps his house. In God's house, it's perfect. It's holy, holy, holy. It's pure, pure, pure. It's righteous, righteous, righteous. It's everything that is lovely is God's house. That's what's amazing when, when Paul says, do you not know that you are God's house? I mean, that's an amazing thought to think that's how he keeps his house. And so we're... So God's house, just think about it. And there is no sin in God's house. There's no sin in him. And so where where does darkness come in? And one day, you know, you have Lucifer, Satan, the devil, who mars the estate, who actually introduces a rebellion. And it's like sticking a piece of trash, smelly trash, in the middle of a home. And so God's like, that doesn't belong here. That's completely opposite my nature. So what, is, what it says is that God created darkness. In a sense, he separated light from darkness. It's like, this is my nature. This is what it happens when my nature isn't there. In other words, when my presence isn't there. If light is turned off, what do you have? Darkness. If life is turned off, what do you have? Death. Death and darkness have no substance, no material substance. They're merely the absence of something. And so God, just like in your house, you have a spot. Mine's like near the sink, and you pull it out, and it's a little trash can. And that trash can is in my house. God is over everything. And in God's house, he has a trash can. It's called darkness. And in that trash can, he sticks everything that is not of him. And it goes there. He didn't intend to stick you there. However, you've inherited something. You were born in a trash can. You were born into a fallen realm. You weren't intended to be there. But that's the deviousness of sin. Because that trash can was made for the devil and his fallen angels. And so as a result, all that is opposite the nature of God, all that is born of sin, actually is reserved for that spot. And what's interesting is you have a trash can in your home, but no one's going to come into your home and go, huh, this home is just trash. Because your trash can is an understood territory that is opposite your nature. If anyone opened your trash, they wouldn't judge your home by your trash. And go, I can't believe you have trash. We look at God's house and we we cannot mix God with his trash can. God is not darkness. God is not death. God is not thorns. However, he has reserved a space for those thorns. And he will ultimately take all that trash out to the incinerator. And it will be destroyed in everlasting fire. But for right now, there's a trash can. So we have the same thing. You know that when you become the temple of God by believing in Christ Jesus, you literally are grown up into a temple. You become the house of God. Well, you need to learn to take care of your house the same way God does. You know that Jesus was a house and he was an example to us. Paul was a house and he was an example to us. And guess what? Jesus died on a cross. Paul was beheaded. Whoa. Suffered greatly in their body. How come we miss that portion? It's sort of like, well, yeah, but what about healing? I'm not at healing. Healing only has understanding and context when you recognize a greater purpose. When Paul's head was dislodged from his body, it was an infirmity of body. That head is not supposed to be separated. Uh Uh-oh, we have a problem. And that problem, if not mended, will lead to a mortal death. And God didn't intervene. He allowed that head to be severed. Paul the apostle died of a bodily suffering. That's not right. Doesn't he know the power of Jesus Christ to heal? Paul wasn't complaining. Paul was very excited about that day because to die is gain. You cannot fear suffering in the body. Suffering in the body, here's my illustration. Inside this body is the very essence of the kernel of life that you have in Christ Jesus. And it's untouchable. Truly untouchable. The enemy cannot mar it. However, this bodily portion, this exterior of your existence interacts with a fallen world. And so as a result, you can see things, you can hear things, you can feel things, you can be impacted circumstantially by things. If a bomb hit over there, it affects this body. But it doesn't affect the inner pith of who you are. That part that is rescued by Jesus Christ. God knows that this body is not eternal. Do you know that? Do you recognize that this body is temporarily on loan to the purposes of God until he clothes you in a much greater one? Meanwhile, it's okay to groan. But you also need to know that in this balance of understanding, God is going to carry this body through all those bomb blasts. You see, this body is his chosen vehicle to carry you to the finish line of the race. Paul said he finished the race. that's quite a funny thing. Just picture little small Paul with the bald head, the big Jewish nose, making his way with his scarred back and, you know, his crushed head. And who knows, he's limping, he's sliding, but he made it to the finish line. And one thing you can know about God and your body is God has a purpose for that body, and it will be fulfilled. If you get stoned and it's not the proper time, you'll rise back up. Don't worry. If a viper jumps out of the fire and latches onto your hand and it's not your time, guess what? You're fine. Just throw it back in the fire. You still have work to do. And you can say, but this body is so vulnerable. Sure. Sure it is. But isn't it great to see how God works through a vulnerable, weak body to show his strength? Now, let me get this straight. We are Christians seated in heavenly places, secured in Christ Jesus. Yes, yes. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. I don't know how you interpret that, but most of us look at that and we say, yeah, nothing should hurt me. Nothing should ever impact me. Nothing should ever touch me. Well, that is a perfectly fine way of looking at it. However, one of the things as we go through this message, I think you'll get a more global understanding of what Jesus is saying there. They, those that believe on him, will take up serpents, and if they drink anything deadly, it will by no means hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. Whew. But he, Paul, shook off the creature, the viper, into the fire and suffered no harm. I mean, that's a viper that kills people. And he bit Paul. I mean, this is not a good situation. He just literally throws it off. But we are still in old bodies on an old dying earth, which means our life circumstances are still vulnerable to practical thorns. I'm going to use three different kinds of thorns here, practical thorns. Your life circumstances, because you're still in an old body, in an old fallen world, your practical circumstances are still vulnerable to practical thorns. Our bodies are still vulnerable to physical thorns, and our hearts and minds are still subject to the buffeting of verbal thorns. You ever wondered? See, most of us, when we think about bodily suffering do not think about practical suffering and verbal suffering my my suffering i you know other than my vestibular gland which seems to struggle when i do forward rolls overall i'm a healthy guy right and so my suffering isn't hasn't necessarily been in my body but i have an acute form of bodily suffering that i deal with that some of you may not The amount of accusation that has come against my life, the false accusation that has come against my life, is such an impact player in my body. I literally deal with it. If I was in heaven, guess what? I wouldn't be hearing it. But I'm here. I'm in the midst of it, and it's all around me. And guess what? It does impact my life. And it is something that I have cried out to God more than a few times to save me from. To let me out of this situation. You know that I would, have, I would choose many times. I w- I've said to God, give me bodily suffering in the physical sense. Instead of this. This mental suffering, this mental attack against me, which is so constant. Is literally one of the harshest, most miserable things you could ever go through on earth. See, now, don't feel bad for me. I am the happiest guy you'll ever meet. Now, one of the things you've heard me say, I think it was on Tuesday is I said, if you came to me with empathy and said, Eric, we've decided that we're all going to gather together and we're going to pray for that thorn to be removed. We've heard that you have a thorn in the flesh. I do, I do. And you said, so we're going to pray together for that thorn to be removed. You know, what's funny is I've come to cherish my thorn. In the strangest way, I recognize it's like, huh, as I properly handle this thorn, I become stronger. Thank you, O thorn. I know where the thorn comes from. That's not from the throne room of grace. God's not accusing me and falsely saying things against me, lying and doing all these things, slandering. That's not God. I know where it comes from. But strangely, that very thorn, which was a messenger from Satan sent to buffet me in this body here on this earth, has turned into a great treasure. So if you were to say, Eric, could we remove the thorn? it would be like, well, just a second here. but Let's think about this. Because... My prayer life is very strong. Why? Because of that thorn. My compassion for others is actually very strong. Why? Because of that thorn. If I ever see anyone else going through any other mental type of abuse, guess who's extremely sensitized to it? Yeah, me. Why? Because of this thorn. In a strange sense, I say thank you all the time for that. Doesn't that sound bizarre? Because in and through this weakness, in this physical body, in this dying world, I have discovered a clearer picture of Jesus Christ and the grace of God is able to flow through my life in a greater way. So, we have a house. Do you have a trash can set up in your house? Many of us don't. So when we're in the old dying body, in the old dying world, and these things come, sort of think of a sunflower seed. The enemy's missiles or his thorns, let's think of it as being like a sunflower seed. Where it comes in and there's two parts to it. There's the outer husk that is maybe radioactive. And if you mess with it, if you hang out with it, if you just sort of allow it into your house, it'll create bitterness, anger, resentment. It'll create disillusionment and pain and despair. You see, the enemy wants to come against you and destroy you. But that very thing that is being sent into your life as a form of suffering in this body actually has a kernel inside of it. God hid it there. You see, even though it's the enemy's work, if you take off the enemy's portion and stick it in the trash can and say, yeah, I don't accept that into this house, but you receive the kernel of grace that comes with it, with every trial comes grace. And if you receive the grace that comes with that suffering and dispose of the radioactive material, still in your house, by the way, if I could liken this trash can in your your house, have you ever seen one of those like glad trash bags? And, you know, if you have a stick in your glad trash bag, what does it do? It sort of tries to poke out. Uh, Have you ever walked by one of your bags and it like catches onto your leg, like carrying it around? You see, that's the way this trash bag is like. And it's in a room of flesh, which is you. It's still in your life. This has been injected into your life. You didn't ask for it. It's there. And it's in one of those glad trash bags, sealed off. The smell of it is not creeping into your home. But it's still in your body. You still have it as a very real part of your life, but it doesn't define the nature of your life. It's separate from what God's doing in your life, but it is what God's doing in your life. You have taken what the enemy meant and you stuck it in that trash can. And said, I know where this comes from. But you receive the grace that came with it. Now that very trash bag is poking at you. And you're feeling it. It's literally, ah, ooh, ooh. Oh, God, get me out of this body. You feel it. Any one of these. If you've ever been in a financial situation, what are you saying? God, get me out of this body. I just want to go to heaven. That's actually a good longing. You see, the first is supposed to prepare you for the second. There is something better waiting. And when we suffer in this body, it causes us to crave what is better. It's a schoolmaster which is leading us to the better. And so if you've ever had a physical suffering, ever been sick, what you want is to be done with it. And yet when in the midst of it, you separate out and say, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I don't want to miss this. There's grace. Did you get the grace? Did you separate out the two? That which the enemy is meant to destroy you, did you put it in the trash bag? And did you take the grace that God de- desired to give you in and through this suffering? Because when you do, you know what you begin to think? This suffering thing is actually really good. Hey, do you, do you have any more of those uh, sunflower-like uh, 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 scallops out there that could be sent my way? Because, boy, I got some serious grace out of that. That was great. That was wonderful. Boy, I'm a stronger person because of it. Because what you're doing is you're separating out the radioactive material that will destroy your life, and you're sequestering it in your body. Still there. You're still dealing with the realities of this fallen world, but you're sequestering it. And guess who is very good at removing those thorn bags? Jesus. But sometimes those thorn bags will remain for a season. And that's one of the strangest things for us. Why do I even have this? It's poking at me. It's actually obstructing my life in a certain way. It's making a lot of noise in that bag. And guess what? The whole while, if it makes noise, God gives you more grace. So it's sort of like, you want to make some more noise in there? And it starts to realize, boy, this guy's getting grace out of this deal. I don't know that I like it. You get grace. And grace, by the way, I remember uh, Jackie Pollinger saying it this way. She lived in the walled city of Hong Kong, one of the most dangerous places on earth. Police wouldn't even enter into the walled city of Hong Kong. And she had a room that was like 10 by 20, maybe 20 by 20. I don't remember the size, but it was really small. And she had, it was packed with people every night that were coming off heroin. And she said, she came to the United States and she said, you may have your own bed, but I know God's grace. And I remember thinking, wait a minute, she sure did say that in a way that makes me want to know why that's so good, because I really like my own bed. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by you have God's grace? You you can just sort of see it, sort of like the wink and the smile, like, you want to find out? Come to the walled city of Hong Kong. You want to find out? Start appropriating bodily suffering as a Christian. Stop being afraid of this old dying body being abused. Now, there's a balance to this. I don't sit around and invite scallops into my life. Hey, are there any messengers of Satan out there? Yeah, come on, come on, this way. I'm not interested in messengers of Satan probably any more than you are. However, if one comes to buffet me, I recognize that there's a great truth woven into it. And get this, God wants it this way for now. Key, I put it in a just so you wouldn't miss it because if I said God wants it this way, that would be misleading. God wants us to be here in this old dying body, in this old dying world, for now, but not for always. This is our assignment, to walk through this land of thorns for the stretch of time we have been assigned. And we're to do it triumphantly. Will we endure thorns? Absolutely. Will thorns at times appear to have hindered us or nullified our call? Most certainly. But can the thorns of Satan hinder the calling of God upon our lives? Not on your life. In fact, it is these very thorns that God has chosen to use as his primary means of showing forth his power. Did you hear that? Primary means. God will leverage the thorns in this world in which we find ourselves as his primary means of showing forth his power, his strength, and his glory through us, his children. Something amazing happened on the cross. None of us are going to deny that. And what we saw was the power, the love, and the strength of heaven come to this earth. We saw it all in one scene. The cross revealed it. And what was that scene? Suffering. Suffering is the chosen picture through which the life of God comes forth into this world. I didn't come up with this. And we are called the body of Christ. We are that picture. Out of Jesus' side flowed a river. Blood and water came gushing out. That's the river of life. Blood to a Hebrew is life. And then you have water. Living water. That's the living water. It's the Holy Spirit. It's given at the cross. When he died, what happened in the temple? The veil that separated the Holy of Holies from the inner court was rent in two. Suddenly we have access in. But also God can come out in us as temples. And we are mobile, carrying the glory of God on this earth. Yet how did that river come out? Anyone want to examine that medically speaking? How did that river come out? His side was pierced. I don't know about you, but uh, that doesn't sound very comfortable. It doesn't sound very comfortable to have a little bodily suffering there. And yet out of the bodily suffering came forth life. Bodily suffering is a part of what God knows the Christian will face. How we handle it is very, very important. Thorns are not from God, but thorns are used by God. God takes all things the enemy means for evil and turns it to good. He works all things for good to them that love him and are called according to his purpose. The big meanie's manure. So one of the illustrations I give at Ellerslie a lot during the the basic training is I talk about forgiveness. And I... You have the enemy over there, or it's someone. It's a real person. And they have a big truckload of manure. It's their manure, not yours. You're not asking for their manure. You have a nice, peaceful meadow. It's like birds chirping, flowers, and you have a nice brook that goes through the middle of it. It smells nice in your uh, nice meadow. And God wants to prepare you. It's like, yes, all things have been made new. You have a glorious meadow that has been given you in and through the grace of God. But you live in a hostile world, and there's a lot of manure out there. And this truck comes onto your territory, not by your invitation. And you know that sound, dee, dee, dee. They come up, and they dump their manure, not yours, on your property in your favorite spot where you would lay and look at all the clouds and say, that cloud looks like a donkey, and this cloud looks like... That was your spot! How dare you! You suddenly have a suffering. You have an issue. You have an event in your life which is to define your soul. It's their issue. Where did it come from? Did that come from God? That's not God's manure. That's their manure. It's the result of sin in their life. It's the result of all sorts of junk going on in in them. And yet it's now affecting you? How are you to respond? Because this can come in all sorts of different forms. We live in hostile territory, so it doesn't always just come through sickness as many of you would think right now as I'm talking. I'm saying this dying world is affecting you. How you appropriate that is of the utmost importance. Because many of us, we allow those incidents to turn us sour. Towards God, towards other people. We harden our hearts. We have bitterness. We have resentment. All because of unforgiveness we just can't stand this, and we grumble, we complain, we moan, we're embittered. The enemy's winning. You see, God has a way of handling manure. By the way, the big meanie is the term we use for Satan in our house. So the big meanie's manure. He has a lot of it. And so when the big meanie's manure truck comes into your life, God is not shocked. In fact, he prepares us in his words. He says, anyone who lives a godly life, In Christ Jesus, will have the Big Meanie's manure truck come onto their property. Didn't you read that? Didn't you understand? That's the entire teaching of Paul in the New Testament, and Peter goes, has a whole book on it. Yeah, we we have a whole manure, we can call them manure pile books. In other words, how you handle the manure. That's there's whole books written in the New Testament. Why do we skip over those? We don't usually stick those on a refrigerator. They're not good refrigerator quotes. That, yes, if you live a godly life in Christ Jesus, you're going to have manure in your life. I don't want that. I don't want thorns. I want the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. Hey, any of you health, wealth, and prosperity teachers, could you come uh, through my TV set and encourage me today? You see, we can have our ears tingled with junk and nonsense. However, we're in hostile territory in a battle. If you were sent out to be a, a soldier in a battle... You're not told that everything, everyone you're going to run into is going to be kind to you. Yeah, well, yeah, and yeah I know people talk about you know, gunpowder and it getting in your eyes and you getting shrapnel in your body and bomb blasts and things like that. Oh, that's just, that's not the way it should be for us Christians. It is how it is for us Christians. However, we have the grace of God to super triumph in these situations, to be more than conquerors in these situations. So, you know there's a funny fact about Manure. And that is when it's dumped on your property, if you handle it properly, it actually becomes a blessing. I know, it sounds really strange to thank God for a pile of manure, especially in your special spot. But you know what manure has in it? A fertilizing quality. And if you till manure into your soil in agreement with God, thanking Him and rejoicing for that amazing supply of fertilizer, you know what the flowers in that part of your uh, property are actually going to grow bigger, more lovely. I mean, you can't, I mean, that is expensive stuff. If any of you have tried to put manure all over your garden, you're like, hey, how did you get that, Eric? Well, you know, it's, it's a very special treat I got from uh, the big meanie uh, this last week. It's just wonderful, isn't it? You're like all jealous. It's like, I want some of that. That's the way we as Christians live. And we're like, well, get bold for the gospel then. You start standing up, you'll get your own pile of manure. It's it's guaranteed. Anyone who lives a godly life in Christ Jesus gets this stuff. Didn't you already know that? Didn't someone communicate that with you instead of thinking it's strange? It's God. It's a sign of life. Introducing the special trampoline boots. So I introduced, I, I had a name for it. I couldn't remember which message it was in, so I couldn't find it. But when in Christ we are given such amazing gifts, such amazing, wonderful assets uh, to our Christian existence on this earth. I mean, we have power to forgive. We have power to love, power to serve, power to confess with our mouth, to proclaim the gospel. I mean, you used to be a coward, but you are in Christ Jesus now, so therefore there's boldness. Take advantage of these things. Everything you need to live in an old dying body, in an old dying world, you have everything. Now, one of my favorite qualities is the special trampoline boots. Okay, so the, the way these boots work, it's sort of hard to explain. You really have to go through some good suffering to understand them fully. But the enemy pushes downward. It's called despair or depression. God never pushes downward. That's one of the ways you can always know where it's coming from. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a downward push upon my soul towards despair and depression, not coming from God. When God's, when we, when we face trials... When we face suffering, when we face difficulties, there's a downward pressure. However, with every downward pressure, if we agree with God, what we do is we leap. And to the degree that we receive a downward pressure, we receive an upward grace. It's like a trampoline. You know, if you came from up here, boing, on the trampoline, to the degree you fell, the speed you fell, with the weight you fell, what's going to happen in response? There's an upward pressure to match the need. It's... Commensurate to the need that you have in your life. And I tell you what, grace outweighs the difficulty. You cannot find a Christian on earth that would not testify to that. That the grace they received in their difficulty actually was better and overcame the difficulty they faced. If you know that, you will never fear difficulty again. If you know that you have special trampoline boots in Jesus Christ, that if the enemy really weighs a a grand piano on you, guess what you're going to get? I mean, you literally can leap for joy. That's the promise that we have in Christ Jesus. You have grace. Don't underestimate the power of God to lift you when the enemy pushes. So how should we respond to the thorns in our lives? Well, here's a simple statement from Paul. Rejoice always. Doesn't that just sound calloused from Paul? It's like, Paul, you don't understand. You don't understand what I'm going through. And Paul could stop us and say, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yes, I do. Paul says, rejoice always. Pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. How am I supposed to appropriate this situation? Give thanks. Give thanks? I, I just got a pile of manure. You don't know how good that manure is, do you? You see, there's the stench of the enemy. I recognize that. But there's also the fertilizing quality of all the enemy means for evil. God will till it into the soil of our life and produce a crop of righteousness. Listen to this. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. What's your position? Well, so this is the will of God in Christ. So if you're in Christ, this is his will for you. You're supposed to rejoice always. Pray without ceasing and in everything give thanks. The thorn arrives. So when the thorn arrives, this is a challenge for all of us. So what are we supposed to do? Well, we're supposed to give thanks. If it's a false accusation, we're actually supposed to leap for joy when falsely accused. Isn't that the most bizarre movement? Exercise the grace given. So you've been given grace. So now, what you know, the moment a thorn arrives, like, oh, there's grace in this. Oh, I got the special trampoline boots. That means I have an upward prayer. I'm going to exercise that. And so you agree with God and you leap. Because if you don't leap, you waste the grace. And you stay down and you're crushed by it. But when a thorn arrives, you rejoice. You get excited for what God will do in and through it. Now, this is going to be where there's a tension. If the enemy is delivering me uh, some pie and it's full of poison, what do you think I should do as a good father in my home? It's like, oh, thank you. Wonderful. We'll eat that for dessert tonight. I have no interest in eating the enemy's poison. It's radioactive material. So what I do when a thorn comes is I bop it in the teeth. Hey, I'm the body of Christ, and I'm not here to accept gifts from the devil. So it seems contradictory at first, doesn't it? That if anything comes, a messenger of Satan comes, I resist it. I do. I resist it, and I say no to it. Doesn't that sound ridiculous? They've got this big batch of manure out there, and I'm going to say no to it? You see, it's not my choice, necessarily, of if it's going to land on my property. But I can disposition myself and already have my trash bag there to catch it. Anything that comes into my life from the devil is going in that trash bag. Nope. It's not entering my home, my inner life. It's not going to infect my thinking. It's not going to infect my heart. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to forgive them. It's not going to change the disposition of my Christianity. And so, in every situation, I'm saying no. And in some situations, it literally is repelled, and that sickness is turned back, or that financial crisis that appeared to be coming actually never materialized. That happens all the time. And sometimes I actually walk through a season of a trial. But where does that trial stay? It stays in a trash bag. That which is coming from the devil is still sequestered in my soul, so I am at peace. Yeah, I got a false accusation against me, but guess what? That's in the trash bag. So as a result, I live in my home, in my inner life with Christ, with joy, with peace. So hit it in the teeth, resist it, fight it, reject it. Here's where it gets a little awkward the thorn persists. You know that Paul actually prayed? When that thorn came, he prayed for it to be removed. And strangely, it persisted. What do you do? If the thorn persists, give thanks, leap for joy, exercise the grace given, get excited for what God will do in and through it. You see, if this thorn is persisting, you get more grace. To the degree that you receive suffering, you receive grace. So, whereas God is perfectly capable and very able to remove those thorns from your life, That's what he does. That's what Calvary is. It's a great removal of the thorn of the power of sin in our soul. However, if you are dealing in this natural fallen realm in a dying old body with a thorn that for whatever reason, even after you prayed, seems to still be there, what should you do? Well, there it is. And you keep resisting. You don't come to a point where you accept a thorn. The same thing is true for me. I know it sounds strange because I said, you know what? This has been a blessing, this false accusation. But you know what? I'm praying that in the church, we stop the contention. We stop the false accusation. Should I pray that? Because that's a gift to the body. Because if you received the same thorn I have, you'd be strong too. However, I know it's not coming from God, and I don't want anything to rule in the body of Christ that isn't from God. So I'm going to keep resisting. I'm going to keep hitting, keep standing in agreement with God's purposes. Oh no! The thorn persists? That's impossible! I prayed! I prayed! If the thorn persists, you have such a benefit and such an opportunity to rejoice. I mean, you should feel bad for all the people that had their thorns removed. You have a special privilege. You can remind yourself that Paul himself was in a situation that even after three times approaching the throne of grace saying, God, take this thorn, he still had it. Give thanks. Leap for joy. Exercise the grace given. Get excited for what God will do in and through it. Keep resisting. It is still a messenger from Satan. It is sent to buffet you. And your sole position is that that remains in the trash bag. At no point in time do you open your trash and dump it out on the living room floor. And allow the enemy's perspective, the enemy's voice, to actually mar your perspective. The word of God rules the atmosphere of your home, not the enemy's voice. Keep resisting, keep hitting, keep standing in agreement with God's purposes. God is not suddenly in the business of thorns. That's what the enemy will say to you. Maybe God is behind these thorns. God has not switched businesses. You can still be certain of the origin of this thorn and the fact that God is the remover of thorns. So continue to resist it. What? The thorn persists? Uh, you know that there's argument about, uh, for 2 Corinthians 12, that some would say that Paul's thorn was removed. Because he doesn't say that the thorn continued. He just basically says that's... His strength, God's strength was made perfect in and through his weakness. However, many of us, when we read that, infer the fact that the thorn remained. Okay, Now, I'm not going to debate that, because that's a useless debate. We don't know. But what we do know is that there was triumph, and there always is. So the thorn persists. So if the thorn has persisted, you've prayed three times, and the thorn is still persisting. Boy, I tell you what, the enemy can get a lot of mileage out of that if you dump out that trash bag into your living room. You start digging around in it to try and solve the issues from the enemy's mentality. You have the word of God. And God's already said, my grace is sufficient for you. And when you face infirmities in this body, when you face bodily suffering, I want you to know that I've given you something. Are you using that something? So if, the, if it persists, listen to this. Make a declaration to the heavenly realms. You will maintain your position in opposition to the devil's movement against your life. But the grace of Jesus Christ is abundantly available for endurance in and through this challenge. That trash bag can be removed at any moment. God's very good at getting trash bags out of your house. He's very good at removing thorns from your life. But he's also very good at giving you grace if that trash bag persists. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you all the many benefits that have come forth into your life in and through this thorn resistance and thorn endurance. So there's no better thing than to come to the Holy Spirit and say, "God, teach me what you've taught me. Remind me of all the lessons, all the things you've done in and through this thorn. Because if you start realizing that through that thorn, you gained that strength, well what have, That turns into worship. It turns into praise. The enemy hates it. God is getting mileage out of the enemy's junk. God is turning what the enemy meant for evil into good. Oh, I love that when God does it. Praise God for his faithfulness and even for this thorn. For without it, you would never have grown as you have. It truly has proven to be a gift. But it wasn't really the thorn that was the gift. But rather, the grace that was supplied in response was the true gift. So option number one. Now, as we get to this point of persisting, the thorn persists. The thorn persists even unto death. Boy, you guys don't like this one, do you? A thorn that persists even unto death. Well, you know that Paul's head was removed. That would be called a thorn that persisted unto death. In other words, he died because of an enemy machination, an enemy movement and conspiracy against his life. However, Paul wasn't caught off guard by it. He was rejoicing and very happy to go home. In other words, don't feel bad for Paul in this situation. There are going to be thorns that affect you in this natural realm. The the effects of this realm upon your old decaying body actually will lead unto death. I know, it sounds terrible, doesn't it? But that's just how it works. And yet it's not something we fear. We're actually anticipating the putting off of this old body so that we can put on a new body. So unto your dying breath, praise the God who converts this time in the land of thorns into triumph and glory. For he has won the victory, and even in death we find that the thorn has only worked to make us stronger and lead us into the presence of Christ. Now we have another option, and this is an option which sort of gets to that edge of divine healing and that whole issue. The thorn is removed unto the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. You see, one of the things you'll notice is that Jesus gets praise either way. Someone who dies in the faith. In other words, even as they're dying, in their final breath, they die believing. You know that's the entire Old Testament? Hebrews 11 is a list of the hall of fame of faith. These are men and women that didn't see the Christ, but they believed. They knew God's word, and they believed it. They were living still in the first covenant, just like we live in the first body. And they were agonizing and groaning for the revelation of all that it spoke about. And when they died, it was a wonderful thing. They got to see him face to face. That's what we get. We get the same wonder at the outcome of all these things. And to die in the faith is the greatest form of faith. But the thorn is removed. You know that God is a specialist in removing thorns? You know that Paul, when his head was removed, had a thorn removed? Just in the very Fact that the enemy takes a guillotine blade, let's imagine it could have been an axe, I don't know what it was, but a blade of some kind lops off his head. Well, suddenly Paul's thorn was removed. You see, even in that dying came a relief, came the removal of something unto the praise and glory of Jesus Christ. So suddenly in your life, there will be moments where you'll say, It's gone. <laughs> it's just gone. I'm healed. I'm healed. My situation has has turned. Oh, I I know. It's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Jesus, the healer, the redeemer, the provider, has supplied the specific virtue. Now you know that thorns never win. They only point you to the one who has already won. Every thorn that comes is merely a gigantic opportunity through which the grace of God can flood into our lives. More thorns will come. So arm yourself to suffer in this body and get into position to leap for joy. You know what's interesting is if you get the privilege of dying, which, by the way, I'm very excited to die, not that I actually want to leave. I have a job here. And you know the reason why I don't want to leave? Is because of my wife, my kids, and you guys. Outside of that, get me out of here. I want to go home, but I know God has an assignment for me. There's a lost and dying world. And he says, Eric, I still have a heart, and I love them, and I want you to love them too. Will you do that for me? Yes, God. I'm in an old dying body in an old dying world with a vestibular gland issue. <laughs> and yet, even though this body isn't that impressive, I know a God who is, that loves to use old dying bodies in an old dying world, and I have a full confidence that nothing will stop this body short, even a failing vestibular gland, from fulfilling its high calling. If God needed me to do a forward role in this life to reach a soul... I have full confidence that my vestibular gland would heal instantaneously and enable me to not pass out. How do I know that? Because I know God rules this body. Even though it's old and dying, he's still in control of it. And he's still Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. This thorn was removed. Maybe I should put it this way. This thorn was removed, but the next one could be unto death. You know that Paul was stoned. But the next time when the blade hit his neck, he died. This thorn was removed, but there comes a thorn that will lead to death. Do not fear that. This thorn was removed because God still has work for you to do here on this earth. But one day a thorn may come that is unto death. Don't fear it, dear child. Die well. Suffer your thorns with the grace I supply. The man of smashed head, the thorn that persisted. You see, Paul had a thorn, and it could have been this one. When he's talking about, even in 2 Corinthians 12, he's talking about a thorn that persisted. Well, it could have been his smashed head. It was an infirmity in his body that led to great humility. To walk around, you know, with one eye over here and one eye up here, I don't know what he looked like, but it could have been very awkward. Everyone's like, what is wrong with that guy? It's hard enough being a Christian, but to be a Christian with smashed head. And so he bore in his body the marks, and yet he said that though, though I suffer in this body, I have found something, people, to the degree that I'm suffering, I have found a grace that is sufficient. The man of no head. There's a difference between the man with smashed head and the man with no head. The man with smashed head still has a job to do on this earth, and yet he's suffering in his body. Now, some of you would want to come up to him and pray for his smashed head. And guess what? God can heal a smashed head. But what if God is saying, you know what? It's part of my plan. That Paul would bear in his body that smashed head and through that would witness to the world when he says that God's grace is sufficient, people will say, it must really be. You see, Paul bore about in his body a weakness. He was in a jar of clay. And he didn't complain about that. He endured with it, but that jar of clay is one stout jar because the enemy, no matter how hard it tried to bring down that jar, could not smash it. God had a purpose, and until that jar finished the race, nothing could stop it. Physical infirmities, different circumstances in his life, whether it's living in, you know, in the deep of the ocean one night or being uh, lashed with 39 lashes the next day. Whether it's being stoned, nothing can stop this guy. A viper lashes out that is highly poisonous. He should die in minutes. Instead, he continues. Who is this guy? He's a Christian. He's a Christian who, though he be in an old dying body, is being empowered by a living God. So the thorn unto death that was removed, you know, see, actually the thorn was removed. The other thorn persisted. He still has a smashed head. But this thorn was removed. The man of bitten hand. The thorn that proved the divine authority and mission of the apostle Paul unto the savages. Call this one divine healing. You see, every one of these has a place. And when you only look to divine healing as the lone source of God getting glory, you oftentimes miss that glory oftentimes can also come through a persistent thorn. I'm not a fan of persistent thorns. Believe me, I'm not trying to promote the idea. There's part of me that doesn't want God to overhear that. And it's just like God, yeah, just get rid of all thorns. You hate thorns, and He does. He's not a fan of thorns. God is not a fan of a decaying, dying world. He wants to rescue it. He wants to return. Lord, haste the day that our faith will be made sight. What is the Spirit of God praying? Come, Lord Jesus, come. The longing of God is to change this world, but God is not against us remaining here. He knows the challenges we face, and he's all for it. So the thorn that proved the divine authority and mission of the Apostle Paul into the savages, I want you to walk in the understanding that our God removes thorns. Our God can take your bodily situation, your physical circumstances, your mental oppressions, and he can translate them into a freedom, into a redemption that shocks the world. He's the healer, which is another way of saying he's the thorn remover. He overcomes, he tramples upon thorns. Do not fear a thorn. God is very good at dealing with them. The triumphant mindset of the believer I will accomplish my purpose here on earth. No thorn can stop me to live as Christ. You get that into your understanding, and you live triumphant. Now there's a second half to it. The first is I will accomplish. The second is I will eventually come to my last day and finish this race. My time in the land of thorns will end, praise God. To die is gain. Those two live in harmony constantly. I'm excited for that. I I expect to die a martyr. I do. And I'm not like anticipating the day, like, oh, Lord, haste the day that I could suffer in prison or have my head lopped off. I actually sense right now that I'm supposed to be alive. And so as a man of God living in this hostile world, I have a confidence that the enemy's not going to stop me. And no physical ailment, no physical weakness is actually going to stop me, though I may have them. You see, I have a job to do. And when it's time for me to go home, I'm going to be very excited about that. But right now I have a job, therefore I expect the grace of God to keep this body, to keep this mind, to keep my circumstances in alignment with and in agreement with God's purpose. He can carry me. He can provide for me. I have financial needs. I have health needs. I have circumstantial issues that have to be righted and have to be made whole. Otherwise, I cannot accomplish this job. So... I have perfect confidence he will do it. But there's also a day where it ends. And that's not a bad thing. That's gain. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, to the land of thorns, to empty thorns of their power to harm us. Behold, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So what did I say here? I said, he sent his only son to the land of thorns, to empty thorns of their power to harm us. You see, a thorn in your mind is harmful, but Jesus Christ has nullified the power of thorns. Are thorns still there? They are, but they no longer can harm you. They can no longer hinder your soul. They can no longer bring you down to the pit. Now they only lift you up. A thorn can't harm you anymore, but that doesn't mean you have no thorns. It means a thorn doesn't rule you anymore. You don't fear them anymore because even if a thorn does come into your life, it leads you upward. So we can now walk on thorns, be tried by thorns, be mentally buffeted by thorns, even be pierced by thorns, and even die due to the bludgeon of thorns. But these thorns cannot hurt us. But rather, these thorns are being used by God to build us, strengthen us, and refine us. We can thank God for thorns. So what about Healing. God always heals, for he is Jehovah Rapha. That is actually what his name means. I am, which is always the same, heals. So it's his character, it's his nature. He always heals. He is the thorn burner, the thorn remover, the thorn converter. The heavenly principle. His ways are higher than our ways. This is uh, from, what, two weeks ago. I contrasted a young faith and a matured faith. A young faith says God will do it this particular way. You know he's going to deal with the thorn. However, a young faith comes to a quick conclusion, says this is how he will deal with the thorn. A matured faith says God will do it, yes, his way. God knows how to deal with thorns in the best possible way to maximize his glory. Our job is to trust that he is the thorn remover, and he will indeed remove the thorn, but he's going to remove it his way. The boat filling up with water. I used that illustration two weeks ago when the the disciples are in the boat and Jesus is sleeping. And the boat's filling up with water. And what are the disciples asking? Jesus, could you wake up and help us uh, unload the water out of this boat? We're going to sink. That says their lives were in jeopardy. And Jesus sleeps. You see, what they were asking for was not bad. But what God wanted to do for them was much greater. God wanted to calm the winds and the waves. They weren't even thinking that. You see, God is after a greater glory. We're oftentimes asking him to help us bail out the boat. We want him to stop physical suffering when in actuality God's saying, I want to calm winds and waves. I want to do something so magnificently beyond what you're thinking right now. Will you allow me to do that? But God, this trash can is still in my house. It's still pressing against me. It's still poking me. Why, why, why? Eric, when I remove it, you will understand. But I will remove it. So a young faith often genuinely believes that suffering is bad and death to be avoided at all cost. A mature faith believes suffering to be good and death to be actual gain and victory. A young faith prays to avoid hardship, trial, imprisonment, persecution, and death. And it does this with genuine love and care. It means it, but a love and a care that is still very ignorant. A matured faith prays for God to supply grace in hardship triumph through sufferings the sweet aroma of his presence in difficulty and that a magnificent glory would usher forth out of the circumstances the thorn remover always wins every thorn will prove to be under his power and control every thorn will prove to only have brought about life in and through the man and woman of faith every thorn will be removed some prior to death and some by death every thorn will bend its knee and declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father so how should we pray? We pray fervently that every thorn be removed. I don't think you should be bashful about it. I think you should go after thorns. You know where they come from? Hit them! Don't accept them! They do not rule and reign in the body of Christ. So we stand with a a purposeful gaze towards them to say, out! We do not resign ourselves to the enemy's junk. The only thing we accept is God's grace. We accept his endurance, we accept his persistence in our life to mature us and to grow us. And, we, and with full confidence we keep asking and asking and asking for we have full confidence that he will indeed remove every thorn. And we submit to the undeniable fact that God knows better than we do how to leverage the benefits of the thorn in our lives. We ask that God receive his full due and that the maximum possible glory would be revealed in and through this thorn. No more fear of the bully thorn, the truth will set you free. Many of you have struggled with the fear of thorns. You're so afraid, you hear about someone down the street that has a thorn. You heard about someone over here that died because of a thorn. And how's the enemy leveraging in you? It wasn't even your thorn, but it becomes your thorn. It's the thorn of anxiety and fear and fretting and foreboding. That's just as powerful as a weapon and a messenger of Satan sent to buffet you as anything else. Stick it in the trash bag. You can have a full confidence that There is no bully thorn that is stronger than your God. You are ruled by grace in your home, not by what the enemy wants to do in this body. You live in hostile territory, and that hostility of this enemy will buffet you. But you have a grace given you that will overcome and triumph in all those testings. How are we to appropriate thorns? We are grieved by many trials, says Peter, and yet we greatly rejoice. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So that's what we do. We rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. We are reviled, persecuted, and falsely accused. We're receiving thorns here, and yet blessed are we. Let us rejoice and be exceeding glad. We are partakers of Christ's sufferings, and yet we may be glad with exceeding joy. We are enduring tribulations, and yet we are exceeding joyful. We face trials and testings, and yet we count it all joy. Every scripture in the Bible that talks about suffering, you know what follows it? Rejoicing. Whoa! How come we're missing that? We're down in the dumps praying that we get rid of all suffering instead of recognizing it's on purpose that we're here in an old dying body in an old dying world. And it's that very suffering that is going to reveal the manifold wisdom of heaven. We literally have the privilege of being glory bearers, but not through our ease and our comfort and our successes, but in and through the difficulties, the trials, and the sufferings that we face. Paul's thorn revisited. Concerning this thing, speaking of the thorn, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, Paul, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, this is Paul's conclusion, therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Sure, I have an infirmity, but I have the power of Christ rested upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure. What a strange choice of words. Pleasure? I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When the downward pressure of the grand piano comes, I have grace to leap. You see, you're looking at just as weakness, but I'm looking at his strength, says Paul. You see, you don't have the, the trampoline boots on, obviously, because when you get those on, you recognize our joy in life springs forth out of trial in a greater way. The many forms of Satan's thorns and infirmities, Upon the body there's just one on the list upon the body you have physical infirmities and they they're a thorn in needs how about this upon the finances in reproaches and persecutions upon the thoughts upon the reputation upon the relationships in your life Whew. if you were to if we were to have a vote in here of which are the hardest in, uh, hardest thorns to carry I don't know that bodily suffering is actually going to win that's what's interesting most of us in here are all You know, scared about the bodily suffering, but hey, you try these other ones on for size and you're going to recognize, wowzer, in distresses, how about upon your circumstances? You get thrown into prison, that's a thorn. You're there for Christ's sake, but wow. How about Paul, Olive left me. Yeah, that's a thorn. You see, who knows what Paul could be talking about with his thorn. However, it's something we can identify with. You may never have thought of yourself as having a thorn in the flesh, but I bet you might. I have a hunch that some of you in here are lugging around a thorn right now. However, you've been complaining about it. You've been just begging God to remove it, which is not necessarily a bad thing, to stand against it. But are you ready to receive the grace from it? To the point where it's like, you know what? Hey, buddy, uh, this thorn actually has done a lot of good in my life. Praise God for this thorn. I give thanks in it. Paul's bewildering statement about his own bodily suffering. God's grace is sufficient for this thorn. The concept, Charles Spurgeon likens it to a little fishy in the Thames River. And he says, it says a little fishy coming to God and saying, God, I I just feel like I'm going to run out of water here. It's just not enough. And God says, uh, oh, little fishy, my water in the Thames is sufficient for you. You see, that's the grace of God. It is not just able, it is sufficient. And that word is so abundantly beyond all we could ask or think. His strength is made perfect in the weakness that this thorn is preying upon. So yes, you are weak. You have a weak physical frame. You have a weak physical body. Maybe even your thought life. You've been weak in it at times. You've been attacked in the past, and this triggers a thought for you. Yes, you're weak, but his strength is made perfect in and through that weakness. Paul gladly boasted in his thorn because it was the avenue through which the power of Christ rested upon him. Paul took pleasure in whatever form the thorn might take. See, that's key. At the very end, he literally says, look, I take pleasure in these infirmities. Whether they come in this form, this form, this form, this form, this form, or this form, I take pleasure in it. He applied the thorn lesson to every thorn he might ever face. Maybe we should do the same. I realize you're probably quite excited to receive your next thorn. You know, after this message, like, God, bring a thorn. You will not need to request thorns of God for he doesn't bring them. Rather, you live in a world full of thorns. Therefore, you will have no shortage of opportunity to realize this great grace in Christ Jesus. So you can get excited about that. God, thank you for leaving me in an old dying body, in an old dying world. Because in and through this old dying body, in an old dying world, I get to realize the simple fact that your grace is sufficient. And you will do exceedingly and abundantly beyond all I could ask or think in this body through this body, in this hostile realm. Praise Jesus.
0: We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Lutie, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com, E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E.com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth, and we are cheering you on down the narrow way of the cross.